It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornsheen. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornsheen. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. I'm so excited that you're tuning in. We are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 today. Now, last week, I had to abruptly end our program as we were really just getting into the discussion uh, of male and female roles within the church. And and this really came about, why we were in this discussion is because of the subject of head coverings that the Apostle Paul will cover here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so to properly understand, he even uses the word traditions there. So to properly understand why that was a tradition, I was taking you back through some of the history on head coverings. Now, I'm not advocating for that today, but I want you to understand why they did that as the early church. We often look to the old traditions and some of them they feel perhaps uh, oppressive in some way, restrictive, and all of these things that maybe we have a negative perspective about them. I think it's important then that we understand the why, and then we can actually have a greater appreciation for why they did what they did uh, to set themselves apart from the world. So again, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to our broadcast from last week. If you missed that, go to calvaryfountain.com. And and if you click under video and audio, there are several tabs there. Uh, One is to watch the sermons uh, from uh, all the broadcasts that we've done, every every sermon teaching. We try to record those. You have that video archive there, as well as another tab that says radio and podcast. And you can go back and listen through the archive of radio programs as well. And so you catch our entire 1 Corinthians study there. So uh, you'll have all the history that we talked about last week uh, that took us all the way up through even uh, around 622 AD and what was going on uh, during that particular time. So let's just go back a little bit on this, that the Apostle Paul, as he's writing 1 Corinthians, it's around 57 AD. Now that's almost 600 years before the Islamic origins. And the city of Corinth was filled with promiscuity and prostitution. Okay, so the head covering was a symbol that the women of God's church would honor their husbands and honor God by not dressing as the women of the city who were modeling their behavior after the gods that they worshipped. And I'm talking about lower G there. They want they worshipped all these false gods, even ones like Diana, uh, known as Artemis. Uh, Diana also was known as Semiramis. Now, Semiramis was the wife of Nimrod. We did a great deal of study on that in our Revelation study, looking at the history of Babylon all the way back even to Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel. Uh, So Semiramis was a wife of Nimrod, and she was worshipped by Jezebel. Now, various ancient texts and legends suggest that it was Semiramis who taught women to elicit power through sexuality by painting their faces. We see that prominently in the Egyptian culture by the influence of Isis, a.k.a. Semiramis. Again, the names change, but the spirit remains the same. And what she would teach them to do is to dress provocatively, behaving seductively, even using perfume and hair treatments to lure her men. 
Now, does that happen in our culture today? Well, most certainly. Just as it did in the ancient world, so today women dress provocatively, often as a way of compensating for various insecurities, one of which is a fear of being undesirable to men that could lead to loneliness and isolation and even attention deficits while attempting to find some kind of value by drawing the wrong kind of attention. So although this is a shallow and painful form of attention, it can be very addictive for women. And women don't understand that their priceless value, their true worth. So Satan has perpetuated the lie that women aren't beautiful enough as they are. He's made women slaves to insecurity by creating competition that make them feel inadequate every single day. So to be valued now, they, they have to you know compromise more of themselves. They have to succumb to this temptation of the $5 trillion apparel industry, $621 billion alone just for women's fashion, $805 billion it's spent on cosmetics, and another $45 billion spent on cosmetic surgery all to maintain this perceived superficial value. So this agenda is propagated through magazines like Cosmopolitan and and through nearly every outlet by way of Hollywood, this information highway that seems to flow out of Hollywood that tells people what their value is, and then women are crying out in our culture to be valued beyond their sex appeal. Well, God and His written Word have been the greatest advocates for women for thousands of years, since the very beginning. And it may shock you to hear, but men and women are different. (laughs) Men are visually stimulated, while women are generally more attracted through relationship. So Paul is imploring women to do their part to help create an environment of holiness. So don't misunderstand, the women were not being punished in some way because the men couldn't control themselves. Rather, the women putting on head coverings was a statement before God and man that they were standing in opposition to the culture of debauchery that was destroying homes and destroying lives. It was an exhibition of faith in a powerful way. It was was time to redefine beauty by returning to its truest state. You see, the teachers of God's Word wanted women to understand that they had far greater value and beauty that wasn't skin deep, that they were daughters of the Most High. The head covering wasn't a humiliation for women, but rather a liberation of women. They were being empowered to stand confidently against the lies of the culture because they found their true worth in Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen to these words from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner in former times, The holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So Paul is imploring the readers to imitate Christ and to keep their eyes on him. You see, worship is not the time to dwell on male-female attractiveness. Worship is the time to focus on God and and his word. 
So women have a responsibility before both God and men to dress modestly and not attract unnecessary attention to themselves. So practically speaking, this responsibility is to be shared in the family unit. A husband needs to inform his wife if her attire is immodest. A wife needs to seek her husband's opinion. So any father worth his salt uh, should be able to tell his daughter to go back in and change her clothes. A, a godly daughter should want to dress in such a way that her father is pleased. Now, I, maybe I'm being idealistic here, but uh, you know, older women in the church should help younger women dress with modesty and discretion. And we see that in Scripture as well, Titus chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, and 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. You know, women need to be reminded to dress with respect at all times, but especially when they come to worship the Lord. Now, men, I, I can't let you off the hook here either. We're responsible to vigilantly guard our minds during worship and to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 10, 5. And we all attend church to worship God, not to eyeball the opposite sex. Uh, therefore, we all need to do our part to seek to honor one another. So the question that begs to be answered is, should a Christian woman cover her head in church meetings today? And I don't believe that is what Paul would have us to understand in this passage. He was addressing healthy traditions in the church at that time that set women apart from the debauchery in the culture. Today, it'd be totally misunderstood. Although what it symbolizes is something that still holds true today, that spirit of modesty and humility before God that yields respect for husbands is of great importance and can be exuded without a head covering. So what is a normative and, and, and what is a cultural behavior then? I mean, when we look at these things, when women go out into public today in Colorado Springs without wearing a head covering, is that some sign of rebellion against their husband? Hardly. I mean, except for the strictest Muslims. I would suggest that head coverings is merely cultural, and while they honor and, and give homage to submission in the normative principle to be obedient to God's word, a Christian woman should not dress in a way that dishonors God and in turn dishonors their husbands. And this is true for men as well. In our culture, for a woman to, to wear a head covering would seem to be this distinctively humiliating experience. I mean, awkward and self-conscious of this. I mean, they, I don't know how they would possibly do that without feeling like all eyes were on them, that they were standing out. And that was not the intent. Uh, it would, it, it, somehow it might even imply some association with groups that don't align with practices of the Bible. Uh, so these groups include the Amish or Mennonite communities on one side of the spectrum or Islamic communities on the other end of the spectrum. So uh, many women, even biblically submissive wives, they resist the notion precisely because they would feel awkward and self-conscious about this. So uh, the head covering in Paul's day was intended only to display the woman's subordination, not her humiliation, right? That she was coming under authority and demonstrating that to God— but it was not to humiliate her. Okay, so today, ironically, to, to require, uh, I would think, to, a head covering for women in a worship service would be uh, something like asking them to shave their heads. Uh, it would be embarrassing to them, I would think. Uh, so the effect, therefore, would have just the opposite of what Paul was communicating there. Uh, so attempting to fulfill the spirit of, of, of the Apostle Paul's instruction, not just his words, uh, is, is really what we need to do here. I mean, the, what are we to understand from this? So, you know, from my pastoral experience in this, the, the presence 
presence of head coverings results in confusion uh, for visitors and, and those who are unfamiliar with the meaning of the symbol since they could perceive it as some legalistic or maybe even some overtly religious uh, thing that, that they just weren't aware of. So it would actually draw attention to the wearer as somehow that they were holier than thou. And that's that's not what the intent was with this. So that would defeat the purpose for wearing a head covering all along. And it, and it could be perceived as a statement of shaming women in the church or even other women in the church by creating a distraction from the heart of worship, right? So I mean, all of this is, we have to understand the intent. So let me give you one more important point on this, and I, and I want to make it from the three verses, is, is that men and women are equally free to pray and prophesy when the church gathered. And that's what we can get lost in Paul's uh, a teaching on head coverings as he was demonstrating here that they were to be liberated as they were set apart from the culture, the lies and the illusion of the culture. He also incorporated into that that they were able to f- freely pray together, even prophesy together. And of course, uh, the term for prophesy is debated, yet uh, we're going to see that in chapter 14, uh, that it was to edify the church. It, it's a reflecting or illuminating the Word of God, if you will. It's a, it, it's a form of just simply being forthtelling with the truth. So it could, it could take a form of a, a word of instruction or, or reproof or uh, admonition or some comfort for others. But women in the early church who had this gift of prophecy, which was foretelling, they were free to exercise that. So again, it demonstrates that the head covering wasn't this thing of submission that they had to be quiet and couldn't say a thing. And that's often what we take away from Scripture is Paul's instruction in Timothy, and we'll get to that here uh, in just a moment. But uh, with that instruction, we would think, okay, women aren't allowed to say anything now. They've got to cover their heads. And that's not exactly the image here that we need to take away from Paul's instruction. You see, Paul recognized the many gifts women may possess in their service to God as part of the body of Christ. In fact, he'll acknowledge 18 different women in his writings. Okay, so this is the Word of God, and most uh, religious teachings of any cult or pagan practice that was going on at that time did not recognize women as the Bible recognizes women. Uh, so we often think, well, the Bible is so oppressive to women. That's not the case at all. And, and in fact, women attributed uh, uh, tri- and contributed greatly to the written Word of God. Women's words were captured in the text. Their names were captured in the text. Even in the genealogy of Jesus, women's names were captured. So again, women were elevated. So we need to dispel those lies Uh, against women from the Bible. The Bible elevated women greatly in a culture that did just the opposite. So he does not permit women to be elders who exercise authoritative teaching gifts during the corporate worship service, according to 1 Timothy 2, 9, all the way to chapter 3, verse 7. And we will talk about that in 1 Corinthians 14. I, I mentioned that last week that we are going to spend a great deal of time going through 1 Corinthians 12, and of course in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and a great deal in 1 Corinthians 14 as we talk about spiritual gifts and tongues. Okay, that's a huge issue, one a very divisive issue in churches today, and we're going to spend a great deal of time talking about that. So Paul's not trying to repress women, okay, he's not, and to somehow restrain their expression of spiritual gifts. That's not what he's doing, but to impress upon them the need for project modesty. Okay, the Bible's rebuttal to Project Runway, if you will, and, and, and the virtue in their dress is a posture of humility before Almighty God. Now, listen, the world tells you to dress a certain way 
So people will look at you, provoking some sort of emotion in the observer, often comprised of desire, lust, or even jealousy, while stimulating superficial pride in the wearer. But Paul began this instruction to us of of looking to him so that we can imitate Christ. So here he goes on in verses 7 to 12 to honor God's structure. Let's just look at uh, verses 7 to 9 here, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. Boy, that particular section right there is is not, uh, you know, politically correct, right? I I mean, you you put that um, as a magnet on your refrigerator, you're going to get some heads turned. And and Paul was unafraid to address the tough subjects here, and nor should we uh, skirt the tough subjects. We need to address this. Spiritual headship has been true since God created the world. And in the the Genesis creation narratives, they show that both man and woman equally bear the image and the glory of God. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, and Genesis 5, 1 to 2. But in Genesis 2, when God created Eve, he took her from Adam's side, or rib, So Paul says that woman was created from the man and for the man. In other words, woman completes man. Male and female in the animal kingdom already existed, so the relationship between a husband and a wife was unique and something that would ultimately model Christ and the church. It was unique of all creation. So as the help and strength man needs, woman helps him be all that God desires. Husbands, I'm sure you can agree with these words. I certainly know wives can, that that women reflect the glory of man when she submits to God's order. Okay, now again, what I'm saying here is not going to be politically correct. This is biblically correct. But what does glory mean here? Uh, To begin with, as many scholars are recognizing today, ancient culture was an honor-shame culture. That is, you know, people normally protected the honor of their family and the family name and would not knowingly bring dishonor and shame to it. Okay, so this is a concept may lie in the background here as is, is we reference this dishonor or disgrace. So it's mentioned here in chapter 11, verses 4 to 6. So by going unveiled, a woman was bringing shame on herself and her reputation as well as on that of her family. So by contrast, Paul seems to imply in verse 7 that a woman should be bringing honor and glory to herself and her family, and especially to her husband and any other men in her life, such as her father and her sons. So in verse 10, Paul comes to one of the most mysterious verses in the entire Bible. Here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 10. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. This verse is considered one of the most difficult verses in the entire Bible. So I propose that uh, my understanding is with great humility. Okay, so Paul is summing up his argument with the use of the words, for this reason. So the head covering, as a symbol, reveals that the woman is under the authority of another who possesses authority. Now listen, this, this means the woman is illustrating authority by coming under authority. 
This is what Jesus witnessed from the centurion in Matthew chapter 8, verses 9 to 10, as he humbly stated before Jesus that I also am a man under authority. Jesus will then commend the centurion for that. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. So Christ also took the form of a bondservant in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, doing the will of the Father, according to John chapter 12, John 16, and Luke 22, to be elevated to the right hand of the Father, according to Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, by his obedience, Hebrews 5, 8, and Philippians 2, 8. His authority came by way of modeling submission to authority according to Hebrews 10, verse 7. So God marks us with a symbol that we belong to Him, according to Revelation 7, 1, 8, and Ephesians 1, 13. And the beast will do the same for his followers, according to Revelation 13, 15, 18. So we're all marked one way or another. Either we are with Christ or we're against Him, according to Matthew 12, 30 and Luke eleven twenty three. 23. So if we are with Him, then we are marked by him, male and female alike, according to Revelation 3.12. However, this symbol in, in 1 Corinthians 11.10, attributed to women, seems to correlate with the work of the angels. Now, Christ is the head of the church, according to Colossians 1.18 and Ephesians 5.23. Uh, so, Christ is the authority over the church, and the marriage bond is likened to this model with man being the headship over the woman as Christ is over the church, according to Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. So Christ also commands the angels, as we see in Hebrews 1, 14, and describes angels as ministering spirits dispatched by God to serve those who inherit salvation, i.e. those marked by God. So this final phrase here, because of the angels, is a mystery to all interpreters. Perhaps Paul's encouraging women to worship with that same submissive humility as those angelic ministers who are under the authority of Christ. That's one possible interpretation. That means that, that women who honor their head with a symbol of submission to both God and their husbands as they serve in the instruction of Titus chapter 2 and Proverbs 31, are in the same way likened as the angels who serve the body of Christ under the authority of Christ. Now, we know that when the church gathers, it's filled with angels as well who are observers of the work God is doing in the church. And we know that from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, 11, 10, and Ephesians 3, 10, 1 Timothy 5, and 1 Peter 1. So this veiling of women in public worship because of angels may be an imitation of the seraphim themselves, who when they sing the praises of God, they cover their faces and their feet with their wings out of honor and respect for God, according to Isaiah 6, 1-3. Thus the ministering angels are observing a similar behavior in the women of the church who are ministering agents with a similar role as that of angels who glorify God. You see, angels are ministering agents under Christ, and women are ministering agents under their husbands. Now, there's also the aspect of this translation related to Genesis 6-2, 
Thus, a woman under the symbol of authority is making a statement before the angels. Now, I'll save that context for those of you who are curious enough to go even deeper on that subject as you look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 2. But there's a, a, a wonderful, strong emphasis on the mutuality of women and men in the marriage bond in the church in verses 11 to 12. So I'm going to save that for next week. Again, I told you we're going to have to spend some time here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I've given you a lot to chew on already, and I hope you have been encouraged. So again, if you want to go back and listen to this broadcast, please do so at calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. And uh, we are still worshiping, you know, even online, and actually we are ministering in person. Yes, we're one of the few churches in Colorado Springs you can go to in person to worship. We have extreme social distancing protocols in place. Uh, the, the place has been cleaned thoroughly. We have a great uh, greeting team that will escort you uh, to seats that are uh, reserved for you. And, uh, and all protocols, safety protocols have been taken. If you want to learn more, go to calvaryfountain.com. Services are at 10 a.m. on Sunday. And we're quickly approaching going to two services at 8 and 10 a.m. with those same protocols in, in effect. So again, learn more at calvaryfountain.com. God bless you guys. I love you. Talk to you soon.